Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. October 9th is Pandas Pans Awareness Day in many jurisdictions, and as such, I've decided to dedicate this week's podcast to Pandas Pans and actually the entire month of October. We're going to do four podcasts that focus on Pandas Pans. Today we have a true pioneer and a real inspiration, Gabriella True, to talk with us. Gabriella is the president of U.S.-based Aspire, the Alliance to Solve PANS and Immune-Related Encephalopathies. She has been a leader in the PANS and autism communities since 2008. She has also worked with the Connecticut PANS Pandas Partnership, New England PANS Pandas Association, and sat on the Pandas Pans Advisory Council to the Department of Health for Connecticut. In addition to her work in the Pans community, Gabriella is also the Autism Community in Action Connecticut Chapter Coordinator, and she has volunteered for them for 10 years. Gabriella is a parent to two children with Pans, one who also has autism. In today's conversation, we get into how she got involved in Pandas, Pans, and autism. We talk about some of the upcoming things that Aspire will be involved in, and how to overall reduce the stigma in terms of of the community and the disorders. I hope you enjoy this episode and please take some time on October 9th to reflect on Pandas Pans and also to get the word out there about these disorders. I wrote a book. I'd love for you to check it out. Pendulum by S.E. German is available now. Pendulum is a heartwarming story that follows a young boy who experiences mental health challenges like anxiety, OCD and depression, ADHD and tics following an infection. It turns out he has a little known disorder called PANDAS. The book follows the young boy as he struggles with his health issues as well as regular middle grade issues and it can act as a wonderful catalyst between you and your children to talk about mental health issues and other things that are going on in their life. Pendulum is available online through Amazon Worldwide, Barnes & Noble, the Friesen Press Bookstore, and a number of other online retailers worldwide. And you can check out Chapter 1, the audio version of Pendulum for free on the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast in Episode 64. I hope you enjoy Pendulum by S.E. German and let me know what you think. So welcome, Gabriella True, to the podcast. I'm really happy to connect with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I know we, you asked me on this podcast a little while ago, so I'm glad we were able to get a date and I'm looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, no, me too. So why don't we start with you providing a quick overview of your background and then how you got interested in pandas, pans, and autism? Um, well... My kids are now 17 years old, so I try to be brief. Yeah. <laughs> but one of my kids was diagnosed with autism. 
um, pretty early on. And, you know, I was sort of like, what now? Um, Mm. And I was fortunate to be living in California, Southern California at the time where Taka is based. And at that point they were, they didn't have chapters. They really were a Southern California parent support organization. So I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I found a printed out brochures back when things got printed more than they do these days. And I was, and it just was all about hope and doing different things and accessing more care. And I said, that sounds like it's up my alley. Um, So I started going to meetings and started making lifelong friends and started learning ways to access more care for my son and my family. And, you know, we had a pretty active core group and we all started volunteering together. So, you know, it was just a way to spend more time with each other Mm -hmm. uh, and help more families and just keep talking about autism. Right. So we went to conferences and volunteered at conferences through Taka and we did coffee talks, which is their, their names for support groups. And we did that for years and learning and going to each other's IEPs and all of that. And then Then Timmy started acting really different. He was actually a pretty chill kid with autism. Like he wasn't very rigid. Um, He was definitely autistic, but he was pretty flexible, right? And then he wasn't. And then he had started having separation anxiety, like wild separation anxiety. And he's incredibly nonverbal. So it it, it was, a you know, I, I was at a loss and I really didn't know what was happening. And Lisa Ackerman, who founded and is still the head of Taka, she looks at me and she was like, this really could be pandas. And I was like, are you sure? I was like, he's never had strep. She's like, but his brother is strep all the time. And I was like, yeah. So she hooked us up with a doctor and we started treatment pretty much right away and of antibiotics. And there were marked improvements and actually so many improvements of things that we had ever never seen him do in his life because he's profoundly impacted by autism. So Mm -hmm. um, I got really lucky about learning about PANS pretty quickly. Um, Otherwise I'm pretty sure he would have been swallowed up in the autism world and everybody would have just said, that's the autism all day long. That's just the autism. Oh, he's just more autistic. Um, Um, Mm -hmm. So, I'm really fortunate for that. And Mm -hmm. then we moved to Connecticut. The whole family moved and that was a big life change. But at the same time, they talk had started chapters. And so I helped start the Connecticut chapter and still run it to this day, even though COVID has been a little bit slow with all that, but we're picking back up. And so to make a long story short, one of the autism dads that came to one of my meetings also had a kid with pants. Mm. And he said, we want to put on a conference through NAPANS, New England Pants Pandas Association, because they had done some great conferences in Massachusetts. They wanted to do something in Connecticut. And he said, will you help? And I said, oh, no, I'm really busy. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, please. And um, I said, fine, I'll do a little paperwork. Within a couple of weeks, I was head of the conference. Right. Within a month, I was on the board as communication director. And then within a month after the conference, I was voted in as president. Mm. 
So that went from, I think, August to December. Oh, my gosh. And and so <laughs> they were in a place to, for a transition. So it was really a lot of timing um, issues again. And so there was a little balance between talking and that and um, figuring out a wider range and doing some programs. Um, and so, you know, I worked with all those wonderful women for um, several years and um, we did a lot of great things. And then as I got to be more involved in the community and the other local organizations and a couple of the nationals were like, why are we repeating so much work? And I mm -hmm. was getting a lot of calls from different states that didn't have organizations like a school in Iowa. Oh, I hear, you know, a lot about school and pants. Can you give us a lecture? <laughs> Even though you're new England, I was like, or do you know anybody that could? And I was like, not really, but mm -hmm. I can. So we started doing that, which was, you know, we were supposed to be New England based, but here I am doing things across the country. So it just really showed the need to consolidate. Plus, you know, it's hard to find, you know, we're tired and we're volunteers and we're parents with sick mm -hmm. kids. So, you know, why have five treasurers when you can have one? Yeah. <laughs> and then those four other people could still be doing stuff, but they wouldn't have to be doing the book. So, and then being able to create, you know, all of the literature to be used on a national um, scene and then being able to develop our local boots on the ground more easily from a national structure. And then and that took forever and a lot of talk back and forth. I was like, oh, my God, this is exhausting. And then Dr. Sweeto, who is the, the basically the mother of Pan's Pandas and found, discovered it or identified it mm -hmm. through the National Institute of Mental Health, she came to us and she said, get off your laurels and start this. I need you to start this like last month. So we did. And she's on our board and she guides us from, you know, she's like, you know, we sort of run things by her um, and she helps with projects and we have this wonderful professional advisory board that she helps lead up. So, you know, it was kind of a leap of faith because we were all doing pretty good jobs in the places we were in and how to, you know, not tip, a, tip the apple cart, but be able to include people. So that's really how that's the progression. And so I spend 99% of my time doing aspire and unfortunately only 1% um, with Taka some days, but um, we're gearing up for a conference. So it's been fun being able to do more and do things online and with them. So I'm still very, act really active. It's more, some days it feels like 1%, but I know it's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's amazing. And honestly, Aspire is something that um, we use even in Canada. Like it's it's international as well, I would say, a lot of the resources that you're putting together. Yeah, so. I get a lot of calls and emails from Canada. Yeah. There's one actually that emailed me on Monday and I actually haven't emailed me back because I just haven't got to everybody. But um, there's one sitting in my inbox right now. Yeah, and, and it is challenging because we don't have a national organization. I know there's one that's kind of in the works and, and right. you know, the beginning stages. But yeah, that's where when, especially that I'm looking to reach out to, I find the school system, a lot of the materials that you guys have are, are really great for that. It just seems to be in the language that they understand. Right. Yeah. I mean, and every country school, you know, their school system is a little different. Like we I, I actually have gotten a lot of calls 
about doing some school lectures for Canada. So I'm just sort of trying to try to figure out how to do that. Um, so it's more generalized. Um, mm -hmm. They know how all the legal ins and outs of the American system. But I did, you know, a nice overview for the new Italian group. They have a pandas family committee. And so Dr. Sweeto and I did a joint webinar with them and I did a little bit on school. So mm -hmm. it can be oh, done. Great. Have to, oh. And then once this national Canadian, you know, we can figure something out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and so I guess in terms of sort of more the personal aspect, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see for pandas, pants, families, you know, in the U.S., but then even worldwide? Because I know the systems are a little different. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, they're the same in the U.S. and worldwide. I, I can give some examples after I sort of talk about sort of the U.S. folk central stuff um of what's happening like in Europe and different countries but um you know the bottom line is we need more understanding education research awareness across all avenues um so that we can increase access to affordable care um you know that's how to do that and how to do that in a quote unquote timely manner is a little rough um not having as many people as we need on board right now with getting it, um, getting what our kids need, how to get it. Um, that means that they're not being diagnosed in a timely manner, which mm -hmm. delays treatments. Um, so unfortunately people are having multiple flares before they ever get treated. Um, you know, we really want them diagnosed and treated so that brain inflammation and that dysregulated brain response are corrected as quickly as possible. Um, and then when they find a doctor, families are hemorrhaging money, yeah. bottom line, um, because most of this isn't covered by insurance. Um, there are very few states in the U.S. that are, and even when they are, it's still a fight to the bone to get the insurance to actually do the coverage. Um, you know, insurance coverage doesn't automatically mean that everybody with PANS is going to get IVIG, they still, and their doctor still has to show that it's medically necessary. And that's still going to involve a lot of loopholes and, you know, jumps, hoops to jump over. But, you know, if we look at the medical community as a whole, and we don't just look at it through the PANS, PANDAS lens, um, there's this book by Harriet Washington, Infectious Madness. Have you read it? No. Oh, you have to read it. It's excellent. Um, she is a Harvard medical ethicist. I can't pronounce that with my ethicist. How do you pronounce that? I have a list. Ethicist. Like, yeah, ethicist. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. Um, so she's amazing and brilliant and has written a great book called Medical Apartheid um, about um, black people not getting the same care um, and some of the horrible things that they've experienced. But she also wrote this book called Infectious Madness, which talks about not just PANS, but other neuroimmune disorders and, and, and our scientific world as a whole. And in there, which is something I quote all the time, she says that science moves glacially slow. Mm. And it's true. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's moving slow for everything. Um, looking at COVID, it sometimes feels like things move fast, but you know, there are a lot of things that are going to continue to sort of stay the same in terms of how they approach it and wanting to do things certain ways. I mean, we know that the patients that are having neuroimmune issues, they're still being treated just with psych meds. It's not like those patients with COVID are getting IVIG. Some of them are getting plasma phoresis, but for mostly the medical stuff. So, you know, we still have a, uh, a tough climb, you know, it's really a paradigm shift to take everything or a lot of things out of the DSM, which is the uh, manual of um, mental health issues and, and really talk about what's happening in the body. I mean, there's a lot of silo medicine out there Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think some of these doctors, individual medicine is great, but like what's happening, how is it all connected? And the brain is not separate from the body. And thanks to Dr. Aguiu's work and Pittenger's work, you know, we know that the brain blood barrier, which everybody used to think was impenetrable, isn't. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of emerging challenges to the medical norms of how we think. And that takes time and makes people nervous it stresses people out. <laughs> Neurologists don't love it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of challenges to that. Plus, you know, all of this takes a lot of research. And what does research take? Money, money and a <laughs> yeah. lot of time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even if they get the money, they do the study and it's a pretty narrow study. So they, you know, doesn't take too long writing it, getting it published, repub, you know, re-editing it, going through review, <laughs> It takes mm-hmm. forever. So someone can be technically done with their research and three years later, they're still working on getting it published. So it just, time is a huge factor um, with it. Yeah, and, and it's and, so and, challenging. And, yeah. And then other things, you know, like if we look at the OCD world, so again, if we don't just look at it through the lens of Pan's Pandas world, adults can go to see eight to nine, it can take eight to nine years to be correctly diagnosed with OCD. Oh, wow. So, you know, you sometimes have to look at things with a little perspective. <laughs> yeah, and it's so hard with our kids, especially when you hear, you know, like brain inflammation. You think like you, you're like, you know, time is of the essence. You don't want to just leave it. But I know here, like in Canada, we've had a really hard time in the traditional medical system to get the kind of care like doctors just don't seem to know about it and if they do they're skeptical or afraid and so you just run into a lot of roadblocks yeah being afraid is a big thing i mean we are in a pretty litigious world Mm -hmm. and um malpractice medicine is expensive and them doctors don't really want to think out of the box a lot of doctors I mean, there are some that really do think out of the box, so I'm not maligning the whole group by any means, but a lot of them love some of the the rules in the medical world. And then when you start challenging those rules, they're like, oh, no, 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 there'll be none of that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and then schools, like, I I know, you know, we talk a lot about choice-based behavior, all right? So if you're in a school... And say you have a kid with autism or somebody with a lot of behavioral problems. The first school thing a school wants to do is do a behavioral assessment and then put in what we call a BIP, which is a behavioral intervention plan. Um, but that doesn't really work with most of our kids with pandas. So no. they need a whole paradigm shift on how they think of it. So when I talk to schools, we, 
we spend a lot of time talking about those choice-based behaviors and how to deal with them um, and, you know, do some sort of simple comparisons. Like if you broke your wrist, a student broke a wrist, would you go make them dribble in in gym class, the ball, or and carry heavy boxes around? No, because they can't, because their arm is inflamed and essentially broken. I was like, this is what's happening with these kids' brains. So just like their urinary frequency is not a choice, um, neither is their rage and their intrusive thoughts. I was like, you know, none of it is. None of it's a choice. Like, no one wants this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... That's a great example. That's really powerful. And, and, and really talking about it throughout the whole, the whole lecture, like keep referring it back, like just to drive it in, mm-hmm. you know, it does help. But when they're in that classroom with a kid who's, you know, suddenly in a rage, it's, it's not that easy to remember. Okay. That brain's inflamed. The neurotransmitters aren't working. They've got, problems with dopamine and this thing that I've never heard of Kim kinase are completely off. Like I have to be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a hard for them. It's a paradigm shift and it's hard for parents too. We have the parents, you know, who aren't able to do their typical behavior management. Parenting. Yeah, absolutely. So well, educating parents on that is important as well. Yeah, for sure. And and sometimes I always feel like I'm playing catch up because you'll be the one of the challenges is the fact that, you know, sometimes the child seems quote unquote normal. And then sort of you go into this flare situation where, yeah, everything's just not as it normally would be. And yeah, you kind of feel like you're playing catch up going, wait a second, something's different now and you've got to take a different approach. And yeah, I can see how it's very confusing. Well, first for parents, but then, you know, when you add in say a teacher who's, you know, only so involved with the student, right? And they have 30 other kids in the class. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I, yeah, definitely don't think it's easy <laughs> for anybody. Right. And it's hard to find that line between, you know, when we talk about CBT and it's not like regular pediatric OCD where you implement the CBT and the ERP, like as soon as you see those symptoms and with PANS, we have to wait a while for that brain inflammation and the treat, the medical treatment to take hold before we start implementing it some of the parents can use some parent management techniques until then but it's hard to find that fine line like how much control is that kid in so you know it's tough so I mean and then going back to your original questions like you know worldwide it's really the same I mean it's getting doctors on board this paradigm shift I mean Britain has a particular problem with their national health care system um, who are particularly um, anti-pans and not helpful. They just have a couple of doctors that can help. Um, but everything there is so tied into their national health system. So it's hard to sort of, you know, here in the United States, even though you have to pay out of pocket, you can find a more independent doctor that's obviously got rules and regulations that they're working under, but they do have a little bit more leeway. And then in Britain, access to IVIG is just not a thing. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. 
hard enough to get in the United States, but it's really not something that's done there. So that's a whole other challenge. And then Italy, they really don't have a lot of boots on the ground doctors, even though they have some really wonderful research coming out of their country. Um, but it's not that research hasn't, you know, basically transferred into having treatable treating doctors. So, um, hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then Australia, I don't know enough about the situation, but I know there's a lot of stigma and um, crackdown on the doctors there for treating Lyme, which can be a pan sugar. So, you know, the doctor's hands are really tied on that matter. Um, you know, they have some integrative doctors that have been really hampered by some of the rules. And I, I don't really know enough to speak on them, just a little, just to mention it. But, you know, all these countries have their, we have the overall same issues, but then each country has their unique set of barriers to care. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and so thinking a little more along the line of parents, like what advice would you have for some of those parents that are either just beginning their journey or maybe partway and, and not seeing maybe the results or the improvement that they'd want? Well, um, Two are the, my first two are really general and not just sort of how you handle um, the specifics of hands. But um, one is there's hope for these kids and these young, these adults with this issue. Um, and, you know, just keep digging, keep learning. Um, you know, if you're stuck and the symptoms aren't improving, go back to the drawing board. I mean, maybe you need to get a new doctor. Maybe you mm -hmm. need somebody with a new set of eyes um, or ask them for a different antibiotic, especially if it's like amoxicillin that often doesn't get these kids very far um, or they're going to need a longer course. And while they're educating themselves about this disorder, you know, they don't have to learn. A lot of them want to learn everything in the first week. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, Try not to read every single post on Facebook mm -hmm. um, because it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, read some of them, but give yourself a time limit. Or if it's something that you really don't think apply to your, apply to your kid at that moment, move on to the thing that does. Right. Um, you don't have to be an expert on every single person's kid yet. You just have to try to learn how to help your own kid at the moment. So, um, you know, as you go along, you do pick up more and more and you keep learning. So I think that's always important. Um, two is that find a core group of friends that are dealing with this. Um, Aspire has a Facebook group now and we're probably going to be doing, we have some meetings starting up, even though that's not really announced yet. But, you know, finding your your tribe, your group of people, because, you know, you have to know you're not alone. And even when your kid is raging and you're standing at the top of the stairs at three in the morning, because you're trying to prevent your kid from running out into the middle of the street to scream and rage. And, and you just want to keep them pacing and raging in your house at three in the morning, or when, you know, your kid won't go to school and it's been three weeks and you're still trying to get a letter from a doctor because you're worried the school's going to call the truant officer on you. You know, you are not alone. There are so many of us 
unfortunately, that mm-hmm. know exactly what that feels like. So like, I know if I'm sitting there in the depths of this hell at three in the morning, I'm like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I just, I pretty much repeat it to myself um, because it's a dark, lonely, scary place without that. So I, even to this day, I, it's like a mantra. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And then the next day I pick up the phone and I call one of my friends and be like, Oh my God, last night was horrible. Um, And they're like, Oh yeah, I know all about that. Um, So join the Aspire Facebook group um, and, you know, meet some people and share your story. Um, And then the third is sort of a basic thing, prepare for absenteeism um, at school. More than likely that's going to (laughs) happen. And the two things you need to do to prepare for that is work on getting that letter from your doctor. So even if your kid's not having it, have that conversation with the doctor. Some doctors are more willing to write good letters than others. Yeah. <laughs> so get that talking to um, talking to the doctor about that um, and informing the school that it can happen because we want to prep schools to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Um, so you may need to remove, you have to renew that letter every year. So like put it on your calendar for like June. <laughs> Yeah. As soon as they're done with school, get on the doctor's calendar to get the letter for next year. Um, even if your kid has been in remittance for a while, you just don't want to be stuck. And we know when they suddenly go into a flare again, life is difficult. So try to plan ahead. Um, and then, you know, sort of talk with if you if you aren't a single parent, um, you know, figure out how you guys are going to just at least start thinking about how you, what are you going to do? Like who's not going to work? (laughs) It's not an easy conversation. And if you're a single parent, like what are you going to do? Who's your backup? Do you have backup? Like have you talked to your office about family, family medical leave act, FMLA um, and start to plan for it because it can blindside you. And at that point you're really only focused on supporting your child and you, all the other stuff you, you want it to at least be thought about. Um, so it doesn't hit you like such a brick wall. I mean, it's going to hit you like a brick wall anyway, but um, mm-hmm. at least you don't, you can hit it at 30 miles per hour versus 60. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, you know what we were talking about before, everybody's got to, that family, everybody in that family has got to be on board with remembering that this brain is inflamed and dysregulated. The sooner all parties in the family start to understand that and leading with love always and not blaming these patients for something that is a manifestation of their disability is, I think it's one of the most important things we can do as parents. Absolutely. Actually, our website now has a whole new section called Tips for Pans, and it's, I think it launched last week or two weeks ago. Some of it was written a year ago, but um, it's, you know, five tips from me and a couple of the board members and a lot of our volunteers, and I know some others are writing it, so it'll constantly be added to. And mm-hmm. some of them, you know, are duplicates, like find a friend, be yeah. organized, um, find a little time by yourself, even if you've locked yourself in the bathroom, um, you know, there's common themes and the common themes are helpful because you're like, as a, you know, a yeah. new parent or even you needed been at this for a while and you just need to be reminded. Um, 
it's sometimes good to see it over and over again from about five people. And then they, there's some ones that, you know, definitely don't overlap. So it's, it's, it's actually been kind of cool to read them myself. And I've been at this for a long time. So. Yeah, I saw some of, I think you had reposted them on Instagram and I saw one of them and thought that, yeah, they were really, yeah, the first that's one a great. On Instagram like yesterday or something yeah. like that. And went in our newsletter last week or something like that. That's so, a yeah. great approach. And you're right. Like when you see things over and over again, you're like, okay, that really hammers it home that it's important. And I think those are great tips. I mean, the letters thing for sure. I found that out um, kind of the hard way. I wasn't able to be getting the support I needed at school. And I had a friend say just, you know, and it was totally a different diagnosis that their son had. But she said, um, you need those letters or you're just not going to get their attention. They won't respond unless there's letters. And so... (laughs) It was um, definitely true. Yeah. And, you know, I if I have a school meeting where we're giving a lecture, I I explain to them some of the barriers to how hard it is to get those letters. Um, So sometimes patience is needed. But but yeah, it's just it does make a difference. Yeah, for sure. Are you interested in having a published author speak in your classroom or at your community event? I'd be interested in speaking about my new novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, the writing process, mental health, Panda's Pans, podcasting, and more. Contact me at realllifeprojectco at gmail.com for both in-person and online bookings. Um, so what else do you think can be done at this point to reduce um, some of the stigma and increase some of the understanding, you know, in the medical community, the teaching community, and even beyond? Um, because we're still constantly running into this, is it a thing, isn't it a thing kind of conversation? Right. Um, you know, when I, when I am allowed to be snarky, and they'll say, I don't believe it. And I go, oh, it's not a belief system. It's science. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. um, I can't always actually say that, though. <laughs> yeah. Quite appropriate. But um, so if we take examples from just the basic mental health world, right? You know, there's a, it, it, it's, it's awareness and understanding. And so mm-hmm. if we go back to the first part of this our talk, you know, what are the things that need to be improved? It's that awareness and education, and it's just going to take time. So I think what every single person, every single one who is affected by pants pandas, whether you're the patient, you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a grandma, you're an aunt, you're a friend, um, tell the story, tell a story about pandas. Um, It's really can be a medically complex new concept for a lot of people. So when people personalize their story, even if they don't go into tons of detail, people listen and it makes it more attainable and um, tugs at their heartstrings a little. Um, Mm. It matters and I think it helps. And it's one of the ways it becomes more of a household world word. I mean, not everybody in this world in 10 years is going to know what all the symptoms look like of pans pandas. But, you know, one day we want people to go, oh, yeah, the kid down the block, they're suddenly Mm -hmm. completely different, right? And then, you know, as they're doing their walk around the block loop with the dog after work, 
they run into that mom and say, you know, I heard about this thing called pants pandas. Why don't you look into it? Um, and so, you know, if we're, if we, if you're in a sales and marketing background, you, um, which I have had, we talk about the rule of touching it five times, which means if you have a new client with a new product, right. And you're trying to sell them a new product, that client, you have to be able to have that client quote unquote, touch it five times before they'll start to even think about this new product. Mm. So it's sort of like if we apply the same thing to this pans pans world, like every single time you tell your story, you're having that person you tell touch it one time. So the more and more we tell our collective stories to anybody that will listen, I'm not mm-hmm. joking. Um, they're touching it one time. And so we want to keep doing that. And, and sometimes awareness and understanding isn't happening on mass. It's not happening, you know, in big, huge medical campaigns. It's not always going to be funded by a million dollar budget of like an autism speaks. It's just not going to happen. So we need it to be incredibly grassroots and, but by telling these personal stories, that can only happen on the grassroots level. And so, you know, our personal stories make those weird symptoms, all these what seem like really disparate symptoms, urinary frequency and OCD, like how do those go together? Well, we yeah. know why, but, you know, to other people, they don't. So if someone tells that story, be like, oh, yeah, my neighbor had that. That sounds like like they might not remember all of it, but they remember the overall feel of it and and they that neighbor knows you're not a total nut job they've known you around the block for many years your kids go to the same school so like they learn about it because they trust the person that's telling it to them so a lot of it happens one person at a time to a small group of people at a time and it and it happens organically um it's not going to happen like with a big campaign, like you need to learn about this and everybody has to know about it. It, it, I mean, that can help, but it's really the personal stories and telling people and letting them touch it. This idea of pants pandas one time, two times, three times, four times, five times um, gets it into the minds of people. And the, you know, you sent me some of the questions before and I'd thought some of the things. And one of the things that I just thought about, which um, I should have thought about earlier. Um, but we have a lot of kids with this disorder. I mean, mm-hmm. it's predominantly at this point known as a pediatric disorder, even though we know it's not a pediatric disorder because the diagnostic criteria clearly says no age restriction. And it's frustrating that pediatrics is in the name, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of kids and we have a lot of kids that are teenagers and we have a lot of teenagers that become college students and those college students go out in this world. And so they are all going to go out into this world with the knowledge about pans pandas. And there are, uh, there's a small group, but I know that group will increase of our young advocates in this world. They are amazing kids most of them are kids and some of them are college students most of them are girls because girls tell their stories more readily than boys but um they're on tiktok they're on instagram they Mm -hmm. are telling their stories they are like this is what i have 
I am not even remotely ashamed about having ticks, about missing school. Like, I deal with this. I'm a warrior, and they're amazing. They are some of my favorite people in this world because they are so incredibly inspiring to me. So, like, I start my day and sometimes go to sleep checking my Instagram just to get a little dose of what I call the TikTok girls. Um, <laughs> because they're amazing and they, they're going to change the world. So it's like, we know like every one of us who are listening to this or come to on the Spire groups, those kids will one day be adults. Okay. Yeah. So we, we know the number is not, we know it's not rare. It's just rarely diagnosed. So eventually it will become less rarely diagnosed. Um, and, they're going to just, you know, it's once they become adults, things will change. I'm positive about that. No, that's a great perspective. And I, I really feel like a lot of them will end up in some of those healing areas too, as well. Um, oh yeah. They'll uh, be doing doctors, this work. They'll be therapists. Um, yeah. I know one girl in Connecticut. I, I've been her mom a couple of times and it's, and she's in her twenties and she wants to get better and she wants to be a school counselor. And she would be amazing, not just for the PANS community, but for any community of kids. So, Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are just all so incredibly bright and just so caring and supportive of each other. I just, I'm excited to see them all get better um, or at least they can't get completely in remission to have really managed flares. and they're going to do great things. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. And yeah, I totally agree that telling the story is so important. That's part of why, you know, I've even been doing that on this podcast. It wasn't the reason that I started it by any means, but uh-huh. it kind of just evolved that way. And I thought, wow, you know, this is something that we deal with. And I know not a ton about, but enough um, to be able to talk a little bit about it and um, just, yeah, try and try and get it out there a little bit more, make it more normalized, I suppose. Um, Because it's, yeah, I agree with you. And I've even had people reach out, like whether they read my book or the podcast and say, I know like my so-and-so's sister's brother has that. Or like, I'm starting to see those little connections of people knowing people and saying that they, they're aware of it. So it's, it's definitely, um, it's it's improving, but yeah, it certainly feels like then the but next yeah, day you go into. I mean, it used to be when, like when I first moved to Connecticut and I really started to get involved more into really into the pandas world and not just the autism world. Um, oh, over seventy five percent of the people I knew were kicked out of their pediatric pediatrician practice for bringing wow. up pandas. So today, they're not being kicked out. Maybe that pediatrician is still like, eh, I don't know about it. Sometimes they'll run a few tests and they don't do a lot of digging or they'll say, oh, I can't handle this. Some will still, of course, say, I don't believe in it. Um, Mm. But they're getting kicked out less. So, I mean, that's a small improvement. But, you know, they're not getting kicked out as much. Mm-hmm. It's still mm-hmm. happening. No, that's good. Anyway, that's a good point. 
um, and I guess the other thing, you know, we've talked a bit about some of the education resources that Aspire's been doing. And like I said, I think they're, they're so wonderful. And I always love all the graphics. Um, but what are some of the future projects maybe that you guys are thinking of? Are there areas that you're like, oh, I really want to target this or specific campaigns that you're thinking of? Um, well, there's part, a few sections of our website that are um, not really complete. Um, our behavioral health section isn't really where it want to be, but it's 90% written and then there'll be offshoot articles of it. So, you know, we like to take um, like a core program. So like if it's school and, you know, make some, a core article on it and then have offshoot articles that um, supply more information. So getting all of that up and going, um, doing more on the integrative, doing more for the adult community is critical um, for us to do. It's just trying to have it written right. So it's backed with, you know, actual information versus just what we wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes time and, you know, we are just volunteers all with kids that have this, or we have the condition ourselves. So mm -hmm. um, sometimes our timeline is like a little funny. Like uh, we'll say, all right, we are a week away from launching this. And then the person leading it will have, a flare themselves or their kid will have a massive flare. And so we sort of table it for a little while. Um, you know, that's really part of our core way we work, you know, parents and family first and, right. you know, the information will get up there and there's a lot of great information as it is. Um, so it'll get everybody started, but we know there's always more. And, you know, as I said, you just keep learning at your pace. And so it's getting up there at our pace mm -hmm. and COVID. I mean, you know, yeah. at that point who had time to do anything. So yeah. we had to do pivot and it was great because there were some doctors who actually had a little more time to do a few things because they actually weren't seeing that many telehealth patients in the beginning. And so we did a big campaign on COVID and then we, actually we're able to use that time to really expand our Lyme section, which is great. And so that's all up there. Um, so there's, there's always more, there's always more. And, you know, the, there are certain things we do projects that our PAB, our professional advisory board, they have a whole lot of projects coming up, but they're, they've got a busy schedule. They work tirelessly for our community and then, they'd like to go home and see their family too. So um, it just, it takes time. And so, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things coming up, but it's, just, you know, we have awareness day coming. So yep. that's really, you know, the main focus. Um, it's harder to do awareness day the way you would want to in person mm -hmm. um, because it's not having happening in a lot of States in COVID and because of COVID, but you know, again, figuring it all out and we just launched all these new t-shirts, which are kind of fun uh, for awareness day and they're cool to wear just any day. Um, mm -hmm. And it gets conversation sparking, but um, yeah, it's, always, you know, it's what's wonderful about this community is that there's so many people that actually want to help and write an article. So they may not want to sit on a board committee or a committee position. Um, they don't want to 
always be contributing and you know reviewing materials and things like that um, or guiding direction of next steps but they you know we want an article on you know I don't know absenteeism at school we have some absenteeism school but working with a couple of people to make a bigger program on our website about absenteeism school but like you know that's two to three other people um, we've got another project with OTs but that's going to involve three or four people working on that project. So it's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. So there's always, there's so much, the list is forever long of content. <laughs> Content's my, you know, my fa- favorite thing. Yeah. Producing content. Yeah. Okay. No, absolutely. Those sound really good. Um, why don't we switch a little bit to talking a bit about autism? Um mm-hmm. I just wondered if, you know, if you could give us an idea of some of the key challenges that you find in increasing autism awareness and, and maybe versus, you know, pandas, pans, even, um, yeah. how, how you, so, find that. you know, autism is much more of a household word, more, ugh, household word, mm-hmm. um, meaning that most people have heard about it. Again, not everybody in every community is going to know exactly what it looked like. They're not going to say, oh yeah, that kid totally has autism. Um, but it's in a better place. But one of the problems to this day is that pediatricians are not doing routine assessments, even mm. quick, short ones um, with their pediatric patients. So again, they are not being diagnosed quickly enough and therefore not getting treatment quickly enough um, and getting the supports that they need and the family getting the supports that they need. Um, partly because doctors see patients and, you know, their PA, maybe I'll see them for seven minutes and the doctor can see them for two minutes. And if they don't see 60 patients in one day, they are not going to make a living. I mean, literally not going to make a living from what they get back from insurance. So, um, you know, it's a big, it's a big problem. Um, and then girls are still being diagnosed much later than boys. Um, Autism can look a little bit different in girls. Um, some of the social stuff where people will say, oh, she's just a quiet girl. Instead of, you know, we always just to hear, oh, they're a boy. They didn't talk that much or they're a little rambunctious. You know, that's just a boy. Um, people are like, oh, she's just sort of like a nerdy little girl. It'll be fine. Mm. Uh, and they just dismiss symptoms for years. So, like, if a boy's going to average age, boys are getting diagnosed, white boys, three to at three or four girls are being diagnosed later, like a good two to three years later. And then the minority community is also being diagnosed way too late. Um, You know, of course it's going to depend on patient to patient, like everything does. But, you know, there was a study done, a population study done by the CDC a few years back and it it showed a lot of statistics about that. And it's really, really unfortunate um, that that's a big problem. Um, And then, so, you know, like people say, oh, you know, we can't, if you compare to the pandas world, like, well, they're still having that problem in the autism world. Of course it's going to be a problem in the pans world, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not even perfect for the autism kids. And that's much more well known. Um, so there's, you know, significant hurdles to cross. Um, and then then I think that there's a problem with the whole, you know, when 
the DSM five or DSM whatever changed everything, and they took away Aspergers as a separate diagnosis, which really encompassed a lot of those pretty really high functioning, able to self advocate group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the more severely impacted autistic population is largely ignored um, and not, and often not part of the discussion. Um, And we're going to have a tidal wave of kids who are going to become 21 years old. So they're going to age out of the school system um, and they're not going to have enough services adults. And that tidal wave is here to coming Um, because we know the numbers have gone up exponentially Mm -hmm. for years. So there's not enough programs for them. And what are we going to do with the kids who can't do the bagging at the local grocery store? They can't do certain skills that are by rote. um, If, even if they're sort of middle functioning, what are we going to do with the low functioning kids? And I'm not really always a big fan of low functioning and um, high functioning, but at a certain point when we're talking about job skills and, you know, day-to-day living skills and whether or not people are going to be able to live alone um, mm-hmm. and group homes not wanting to take people with extreme behaviors, what are we going to do those caregivers? You know, we have like 80-year-old parents with a highly autistic 50-year-old adult, and we're going to have one out of 45 of that soon. Versus one out of 250 because the numbers increased so much um, over the past 10 years. What are we going to do with these people? There are not enough services. Um, and it's, it's really, it's scary. And it's scary for me because I don't I have no idea what I'm going to do with Timothy. Like not a clue. Um, not really. I really don't. Um, and it, it's, it's scary and it's problematic and there's not good solutions. Um, and th- then there's in the United States, we have something called the IACC, which is the interagency autism coordinating committee. And they're through Mm -hmm. health and human services or the NIMH or something. And they're utterly useless in my opinion. (laughs) They don't meet. They have made no progress. They've made no progress to any goals that they ever kind of write. Um, They don't, they're not really accountable to anybody. They love to continue to deny that kids with autism wander, and this is a big safety issue. Um, They don't want to talk about any of the comorbid health conditions that are happening with these kids, and too often doctors will say, oh, it's just the autism, and and still not refer them to a GI or a different kind of doctor. Um, Mm. So, you know, at one of those meetings... National Autism Association came in to talk about wandering because that's one of their focuses. And the IACC said, oh, well, well, let's table this because kids don't wander in winter. Oh, wow. I I remember watching that (laughs) because it was taped and uh, it was live streamed. And it was one of the most horrifying, most examples of not understanding the whole layout of what's happening to these kids and where the vast range of um, abilities and inabilities um, and what their barriers are. It just, just, it still, it still drives me nuts. And I think they said that five, six years ago. I think a lot of parents get hung up on in the pants world and say, Oh, it's not like this for other 
conditions. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, there's a lot of overlapping essential problems with our healthcare system and care for caregiver system and just support is just not enough. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's hard because even though, you know, Aspire's done such a great job to kind of bring together the Pandas Pants community. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like there are a lot of things that cross a number of these communities that I'm sure that everybody's kind of fighting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, well, autism doesn't fall under rare disease and pandas really shouldn't. But, you know, you have, there's certain, like, you have rare disease organizations that will take the big picture view of some of the commonality that these rare diseases have in terms of barriers to care and Mm -hmm. barriers to treatment and barriers to everything in life um, and try to look from a big picture advocating wise. um, But it's not really done enough on sort of more of a global um, situation because it's, you know, it's hard to do. And um, of course there's personalities, but it's just, you know, how do you really analyze all the problems and find those commonalities? I mean, IOCDF last year and they're doing it again this year, they had a virtual Hill Day. Um, so they had us come aspire as the PANS organization, and then they had two skin picking organizations, um, TLC, BFRB, and then Picking Me Foundation um, joined together to advocate for and get people to sign on to talk to their federal legislators about certain health care issues. Um, a lot of it revolved around to access to care um, so that we could work together on some of those issues that there's a common ground on. So that was like, you know, it was a good way to unite the different arms of this community. Um, but I think it could be done in a larger sense, but, you know, more of the anxiety groups could be in that. And, um, you know, it'd be good if a lot of the autoimmune encephalitis societies and pandas could really be put under that umbrella because things could be worked on there. So, you know, there's always room for improvement um, in that world, in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm thinking, I'm sure listeners will be thinking about what can they do to help either with pandas pans or autism and kind of support either you know, the individual struggling or the families or, or some of the organizations like is aspire looking for volunteers. Um, yeah, we're lo- always looking for volunteers. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes someone will come to us and say, can I volunteer? And I'm like, to do what? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes there's just paperwork, honestly, it's just like nitty gritty paperwork that need, we could use help on. Um, uh, and then, you know, professionals or um, writing articles for us on different topics to expand parts of our website are always encouraged. Um, and then, I mean, that's, it's a lot about surrounding about content. And then, you know, we don't necessarily run legislative efforts, but we try to support legislative efforts. So states are always needing um, people to help with legislation. Um, so there's always something it's just, you know, usually when someone comes to me, I'm like, how do you, what do you, what are your interests? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things you hate doing? 
and when are you doing that work? Like, are you doing that while your kid's in school? Or are you doing this when the kids have gone to bed and you find, and you want to be able to do the work with a glass of wine, right? right. Like <laughs> how and when are you working? Cause that's really like essential to, cause you know, it's not like a job where they're coming in at nine to five with a finite time. Like, like what works with them and trying to figure, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out. I'm like, I have no idea how to use you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then suddenly I'm like, Oh, boom, can you do this? Um, and sometimes they just fall in my lap and I'm like, Oh yes. Awesome. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Thank you for showing up in my life today. Um, <laughs> literally today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I'll be like, yeah, I have notes on exactly what to do. And uh, so that's always sort of fun, those like synergistic moments when it happens. Um, But, you know, if you're listening to this podcast on a completely different, you know, lens of this, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have a kid with pants, but you have a friend that does have it. My biggest thing to friends and family is to don't disappear and don't judge. Um, because it's so hard, this disease. It's just awful. And we lose friends left mm-hmm. and right. I don't know one parent who hasn't lost significant friends or, you know, at least one really good core friend or a good core family man- member um, that was always part of their their life. Um, people can say, oh, well, you're just obviously not a good parent and that's all choice-based behaviors and you're not doing anything to help them. Um, no, that's not true. Um, know that, you know, try to learn about this disease and, you know, it, we kind of have to throw the parenting handbook out the window in a lot of times. Um, so try not to be judgy mm-hmm. and then just don't disappear. I know it can be scary to be friends with somebody with a kid with severe special needs. Um, and what they're going to want to talk about, you know, when you go out or you call on the phone is going to be really different. And it's sometimes really bleak, um, but they need someone to talk to and they don't want their old friends to disappear. Unfortunately, it happens too often. So please don't be that person. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've had like a number of family members, friends who have either, you know, um, started learning more, reading more, listening to the podcast, things like that kind of say, I didn't really quite understand. But, they're, you know, as they start to understand more, it it um, it's really powerful to still have those people in your life for sure. Yeah, somebody in one of the groups, I don't know if it was Aspire Pan's um, Facebook group, but somebody, an aunt came in and was asking questions and everyone's like, Oh my God, you're the best aunt in the entire world. Thank you for asking questions. Thank you for being so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it really, it really matters. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's great advice. I'm excited to announce the launch of my author website, www.se-german.com. On this website, you can find out all the information about my publications, focused areas on my novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, where there are questions for parents as you work through the novel with your children, as well as teacher resources that can be used in the classroom. There's also information about the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast and recent press. Please visit www.se-german.com.
So I guess any other tools or advice that you want to mention before we wrap up? Um, you know, I think we're a really good resource, but there's other great resources out there, like our friends at Neuroimmune and Panda's Physician Network. Um, you know, try to get your doctor to sign up as a Physicians Network doctor so they can get on those. They have an internal board and they can learn more about this disorder. Um, my naturopath, Dr. Lindsay Wells, just um, published a book. Um, it's mostly for kids, but really, I think it's great for adults, too, um, on PANS. And it's called Super Sam and the Battle Against Pandas. Um, I love it. I think it's it's so cute. And I wrote, she asked, I wrote the forward to it. So, um, and it's with her, a doctor and her, she has a big real life fluffy dog, doc, dog to Ed. So it's really cute, but it talks about what the pan symptoms are. And it's from the perspective of her brother who's like, Oh my God, what has happened to my brother? He's not nice. He rages. He's obsessive. He washes his hands. Like my life is shook to the core. Um, mm -hmm. So we always have to uh, support those si si siblings. So I think this is good mm -hmm. to have, you know, from the sibling perspective, it's great for siblings to read it. I suggested it to a school today um, because they have a kid coming in. So they kind of want to prep the class. It's a yes. lower school class. So I was like, well, this is a great book. And there's some, a couple other books out there um, that are sort of kid based, but this one's really understandable and it's, you know, it's lovely. Um, and then there's the, there are two movies. Um, the American one, which is My Kid Is Not Crazy by Tim Sorrell, who's a great friend of Aspire. Um, and he's helped us on some projects. And that's free on YouTube. And then the one from Canada, Stolen Childhood. I mean, it's both of them are absolutely gut-wrenching. Um, but they really give so much insight. So I think anybody should and everybody should watch those movies um, with the entire um, box of Kleenex. Yeah. But, I, you know, like if you have got family who think you're the only one going through this and they're not very understanding, literally just like make them watch it, like have them over to watch the movie. Um, some of them, I don't think little kids should watch parts of it are a little hard, especially um, part of that stolen childhood one. There's one scene in particular, um, which I won't mention right now, but that's, anyway, it's, they're tough, but they're really, really informative. Um, so I think, and then, of course, there's SEPA, which is Southeast Pandas and the Pans, New England Pandas. They're great regional resources as well. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot out there. Um, so find it. And um, then you can always email us, too. And then for TACA, I mean, TACANow.org is, they have chapters in, I'm not quite sure how many states we're up to. I mean, it's like in the 20s, maybe in the 30s. Um, and we have a huge conference coming up virtually in October. Um, online. So that'll be really great. So there's a lot of wonderful resources out there. That's great. No, thank you so much for sharing those. And so what is the best way if listeners want to connect with you? Is it through Instagram or um, your, your email on Aspire? Either way. I mean, we can be messaged through the Aspire page. That one I don't love. I've kind of forget to look at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And we all do. Um, that's not just the me, but it's kind of awkward. And I usually say, can you just email me this at Gabriella at aspire.care? Cause it's easier to keep things tracked. And I can, if, if they're asking a question about somebody in 
I don't know, Iowa, I can, it's easier for me to forward their information to somebody that can help in Iowa. So it's a lot easier to email me at Gabriella, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A at aspire.care. Um, or you can message us on Instagram at, at aspirepans. Um, and again, I'll, I might say... <laughs> email me <laughs> whoever's answering that say just email us at aspire or sometimes we just direct answer it just depends um if it's a quick one i'll just answer it right there obviously um but it just in terms of management it's a le- little easier on the email but you know but there's many of us and if you join the aspire facebook group you know you can tag me um to um at gabriella true so we're around we're pretty easy to find. Um, and then for TACA, if you go to www.tacanow.org, um, you can link. Uh, there's a link for the chapters. Um, and I'm emailable through the Connecticut chapter. And that will come directly to me. So um, I think it's gabriella.true at tacanow.org. Um, but most people just find my email through the system. So. Awesome. Okay, that's great. I will link those up in the show notes. So that'll make it even easier for everybody. And thank you so much for your time today. There's been so many great tips. Um, You know, a lot of your own personal perspective, and um, also talking about the organization Aspire. And I just I think this has been great information. And I wanted to thank you as well for including my book as one of the resources on Aspire. Um, It was really exciting. We have a book section. So your book is up there. And um, I think it's our first middle grade. How do you call it? Middle grade. Middle novel. grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. And everybody should read that. And it's, you know, it'd be fun for kids to say, oh, identify. Go, Oh, yeah, that kid's kind of like me. Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's a good book for those kids to read. Um, that was exactly what I was hoping, just to kind of hit that age where a lot of them are struggling and maybe not feeling like they're kind of got that community piece yet so hopefully yeah, i mean it's a hard enough time as it is right yes With exams. i mean you couldn't pay me to go to middle school yeah oh i know i know i always think that's the one i'd never go back <laughs> yeah, never, never. God, <laughs> great well thank you so much thank again you so much for having me no it you're welcome great. Thank you so much to Gabriella True from Aspire for her wonderful conversation and for explaining everything that she's been involved in, how she got involved in Pandas, Pans, and Autism, and also everything that we can do and some of the things that Aspire is working on. I just really enjoyed our conversation. It's so great to speak with someone who's so passionate about helping and such a true leader in this space. I hope that you will take some time on October 9th to share about Pandas Pans, even if it's just sharing information that Aspire has shared or that the Foundation for Neuroimmune has shared or Pandas Network Pandas Ontario, um, just echoing what you can to try to get information out there on these disorders. It is such a challenge for families to get treatment, to get diagnosis, and the more that they can understand about these disorders, the quicker they may actually know it's something they're dealing with, and hopefully the quicker they can get on that path to diagnosis and treatment. So again, please do share and reflect on October 9th. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As I mentioned, I will be continuing throughout the month of October with more great episodes focusing on pandas pans and other um, similar issues that a lot of the practitioners also treat. Again, if you're interested in connecting with me or putting forward some episode ideas, you can reach me on Instagram at Sarah, S-A-R-A, Lady Gluten. Also, I've recently joined TikTok, so you can find some some funny, some interesting videos over there, some maybe not so interesting. And my name on TikTok is the same. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten. So I hope you have a great week and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you are looking for that advice, please seek that out from a professional. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can visit my blog, www.theallergybeast.wordpress.com or follow me online at Sarah Lady Gluten on Instagram, S-A-R-A-L-A-D-Y-G-L-U-T-E-N, or the Facebook page, Sarah-LadyGluten. If you do like the podcast, please consider subscribing so that you will get the podcast update every week and or reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. Thanks again and have a great week.